Hello and welcome to the Fantasy Life Podcast. Going live today. I'm your host, Ian Harditz. It is a great day. It'd be great as always. And yeah, welcome in chat. What's up? Great day. It'd be great as I can say, you know, 20 million times, whatever. Dwayne, The Rock, McFarlane joining me today. How are you, my friend? Oh man, I'm good. It's it's a Monday. It's summer. We've got training camp starting in like fantasy football. Like I know you're you're probably drafting right now as we're as we're doing you know this recording like because you're a maniac. Uh, how many drafts are you up to now total? Uh one high one forties. I know last time I said I was over one fifty. That was a lie. I didn't wasn't in a great. Oh show. man, I yeah. I was like, man, don't it. Yeah. I figured you're still you number one, Dwayne. You're still number one, but I am on those. Uh, I'm at 160. Okay. Yeah, well, given so that I'm spending this close. in lovely South Carolina, I will be, you know, passing you here before too I long, so. Dwayne. Woke up today, made a big old pot of coffee, drank said coffee, and just drafted from, you know, sun up to <laughs> presumably sun down. So absolutely love doing that. And absolutely love, uh, you know, Dwayne stepping outside of our comfort zones a little bit with these pods and talking about how terrified we might be if we do not draft some of these players. The intention was to knock all these out in one podcast, but sometimes we got to spend 25 minutes going back and forth on DeAndre Swift, Dwayne. <laughs> so today, again, continuing off our last episode where Dwayne and I are going through talking about guys today now at wide receiver and tight end that again after doing over 100 drafts each who's counting Dwayne they're close enough after doing plenty each we can now look at our exposure using the ever fantastic fantasy life best ball hub and just you know go out there and believe that okay as much as we'd like to be right about everything Dwayne we are not and having low exposure to these certain players is scaring the bejeebus out of us to a certain extent so let's start off again at wide receiver with a certain Cincinnati Bengal top two option in his offense sitting there in round three no of course we are not talking about consensus 102 overall pick jamar chase rather his robin t higgins Dwayne, someone that you have four percent exposure to i only have three percent exposure to and similar i guess you know breakdown that i think we've been having with the running back position a lot where i don't look at t higgins going as a top 15 wide receiver and say like oh my gosh that is ridiculous i think his spot among the wide receivers is okay enough but the problem Dwayne, is we're getting into round three and it's not you know a matter of oh t higgins versus Chris Olave for me. It's a matter of T Higgins versus Tony Pollard versus Derrick Henry versus these upside RB1s that are for the first time really in recent memory slipping into round three. So thoughts on T Higgins and again, why you've been fading them and why that's kind of scaring us here. Yeah, T Higgins, it's exactly for the reason you're saying. I mean, there's a couple of things like with Higgins, I really like him. I, I don't know that he's really a wide receiver two or not. I think he's either a wide receiver three or a wide receiver two. Um, and I'm not talking about fantasy. I think he's clearly a wide receiver too for fantasy. Um, but he's one of those players that's kind of hard to like grade their underlying data just because he does play with Jamar Chase. So you have to kind of be like, well, because he technically grades out like all the underlying things I like to look at, target earning, air yard share. He grades out more like a wide receiver three comparing to the last 12 years of data, folks. These are just guidelines we're going by. Don't get your panties in a twist. You can still call T Higgins a wide receiver one if you want. But he plays for the Bengals, right? Pass-heavy offense. you got a good quarterback in Joe Burrow. So no matter what, he's at least a wide receiver, too. So I think he's basically fine where he's going, slightly overpriced. But the biggest challenge I have is what you mentioned, and that's the fact that at that turn, there are running backs that historically in a half-point PPR would be going at the beginning of round two or even the end of round one. And while... Drafting wide receivers is the best thing to do in half-point and full-point PPRs. There is that little sliver, Ian, of if you want to have a top-three scorer and have a shot at it, right, those elite top, top, top outcomes, 
67% of the time, right? Actually, sorry, it's 81% of the time and a half PPR. The top three scorer has been a running back over the last 12 years, right? 19% of the time, it's been a wide receiver. If you go over to full point PPR, like that switches to 60% of the time running back, 40% wide receiver. Now, we love our wide receivers. The data actually supports continuing to draft, 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 draft them. But man, Tony Pollard is the name that hangs me up here, Ian, every freaking time. When Pollard's on the board, I just can't click on T. Higgins. I've got 20, I've got over 20% exposure to Tony Pollard because I think he has the profile that checks all the boxes that we want, right? As far as explosive playmaker can catch passes. It's got a wide open path to getting all the carries for his team. He's going to get the carries inside the five, have a good offense. So it's all about Tony Pollard. And that's holding a lot of guys down in this range of the draft because I'm drafting so much Pollard, but I, I do acknowledge that it is a little scary on Higgins. I, I would like to get my portfolio at least to like 8%, just because we know on any one season, man, the, the Bengals offense could just go completely nuclear. And you're, if, you're left, if you're left out of it, like I do think you're going to be sitting there wishing that you had a little bit more T. Higgins. And just in terms of how likely is it for one offense to produce two top 12 wide receivers in terms of PPR points per game, it does happen. Not a ton, but 1.6 occurrences per season since 2012. And we actually have seen Jamar Chase and T. Higgins accomplish that together. So I know, Dwayne, you know, on the surface, you look at Higgins' numbers last year and it was a drop-off. But this is another reason why you really got to try to make sure to give each game its appropriate context. Because as we know, we had those three separate annoying games where Higgins was not at full health Two of the times he was basically being used emergency only, and then they got knocked out of a game after only playing 26% of the snaps. So again, you remove those three games where he couldn't even play a third of the game snaps. All of a sudden, that PPR total of 16 and a half points per game would have been good for wide receiver 12 status last year. So I'm with you, Dwayne, in terms of like Jamar Chase being there right now and really saw him, you know, going the last season in their games together. We actually had a really close, you know, target threshold between both those guys. But now together for, let's see, uh, uh, 30 full games together. It's Jamar Chase, 258 targets, and T. Higgins, 227. I feel like, Dwayne, the fact that so many defenses really started to go too high as much as possible against offenses like the Bengals, like the Chiefs, and we're just seeing it across the entire league. The Bengals, to combat that man, really started feeding Jamar Chase more of those underneath opportunities. And I think that shows us that they're going to find a way to get Jamar the ball no matter what. And Higgins is still going to get his, but at least for the Bengals, and I think also in fantasy, as good as T. Higgins is, man, still the clear-cut number two here. Let's not get that twisted. Yeah, for sure. I mean, so that's like, I want to get a little bit more, but I'm not, like, on, like, the range of being scared. I'm not super scared, right, that I have to have T. Higgins to win the league. Now, the path of that happening is if, and knock on wood, we don't want this to happen, but if something did happen to Jamar Chase, okay. you know, and he was out for, like, the final eight games of the year, T Higgins might be what you need, you know, to win a best ball mania. Like he would totally be in the range for that. So if both are healthy, I'm not that scared, but I do realize that there are roads we could go down where Higgins could make me pay. So, Dwayne, you had Higgins at the top of your list. I also had him listed, but at the same time, I also am underway on Chris Olave and Devontae Smith. I'm starting to get a little more of Devonta because I feel like he's been sliding down just a tad lately. But still, man, I look at these guys, and honestly, to a slightly lesser extent, Jalen Waddle as very similar. Yes, you can call them overqualified number two wide receivers all you want, but based on these offenses, I am concerned that we could be looking at the number two targets. So, I understand with Olave, that's definitely more up, more up in the air. 
air. But if Michael Thomas is healthy, man, that's definitely not going to be Chris Olave getting, you know, 150 targets and Michael Thomas getting 90. That is someone that we need to be concerned about with there. So for you, Dwayne, what is the difference between Waddle, Olave, and Devontae Smith that gives them the benefit of the doubt for you over someone like T. Higgins? Because personally, I view them pretty close to the same. I do have Devontae, Waddle, and Olave ranked, you know, in the wide receiver landscape, just a little bit ahead of, ahead of Higgins. But I'm in the same tier. And accordingly, I am going to keep taking Pollard, Henry, and these types of running backs ahead of that crop of wide receivers. Yeah, of, of this group, I'm similar to you. I'm a little low on Devonta Smith and exposure, but Alave is the one that would scare me the most on missing out on. Like I'm, I'm at 8% right on him. And they're just, so that's at the field, right? There, but there's just so many things to love about Alave. Number one, he's shown he can really beat both types of coverages. So we had uh, eight receivers last year post a 25% or higher targets per route run against man and zone coverage. Now the NFL plays zone 70% of the time. So that matters the most But Chris Olave was one of those, right? And it's just a super hard list to get on. You got Tyreek Hill, Devontae Adams, Amon Ross, St. Brown, DeAndre Hopkins, CD lamb, uh, Justin Jefferson, Cut, like that's a pretty good list. Like I'm going to take bad. being on not that. Bad. Yeah, not too bad. Um, the other thing is that whenever we had, Chris Olave and Michael Thomas on the field together last year, Chris Olave still dominated. So I think there is a scenario where Chris Olave has a 27% target share and Michael Thomas has an 18 or 19%, just the way we've seen him play. Now, Thomas was good at the beginning of last year, but most of his damage was coming off of scoring the touchdowns. Now that matters, right? Because he could still look inside the 10 yard. And in fact, that's the thing that scares me the most about Michael Thomas is does he become the go-to option down in the red zone? I, I think I think that's viable. I think that could happen. Um, I worry a little bit less about the target earning. I expect him to be clearly ahead of Thomas. But to your point, we can't just completely call Mike Thomas washed. Um, so I look at his profile, though, and just all the boxes that he checks. And look, this is just last year was just a great rookie class. We can say this about a lot of these guys, actually. Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, Drake London. We really love all of them. Uh, London's got to deal a little bit more with a quarterback situation than what we're talking yeah. about with Garrett Wilson and Chris Alave. But Alave is a name that I'm more scared to miss on with Devonta. I really love him. And I think he's as good or maybe better than Chris Alave as a player. Like I think you could make an argument because who can come out in and earn a 25% target share whenever you're playing with freaking AJ Brown, you know how hard that is. Like you have to be an absolute freaking baller, like to make Goddard that happen. Out there and, too. and you still got Goddard. Exactly. So we know Devonta is really good, but I do wonder how pure did he run? Because it's really hard, and you've done the research on this too. It is super hard to have two players get a 25% plus target share in one season. Like that's a very, very condensed offense. And I know that we think the Eagles should be similar this year, but I do worry there's just a little bit of a chance, right? That he could be more to 22, a 23%. And again, we like him, good player, but I'm slightly more worried about missing out on Alave than I am on Devonta. And again, this does come back to the Tony Pollard conversation and, and just the other running backs that are going in the range, right? I know Josh Jacobs is sliding down now because of the holdout, but like up until the last week where he was going, that's where you had to take him. You already mentioned Derrick Henry. These are all running backs that have top three upside. And honestly, if I'm running a pure projection model, which we do, we do that over at Fantasy Life, and folks, you can go check it out for freaking free, so why would you not? When I just run the pure projections, these are two of the guys that just score way lower than the running backs. Just projecting their medians, and you go look at it, um, like two of the guys that were probably drafting, overdrafting the most, 
number one is Devonta Smith and then Alave. So mm -hmm. I, I, I totally get where you're at on it. I, I want to stay at least with the field on Alave, try to be a little overweight. I probably end up under on Devonta. I do think it's similar to T. Higgins. If for some reason something happens to A.J. Brown, that's the path that Devonta Smith gets where you're like, holy crap. Like I should have just taken him like, and he could outscore Tony Pollard. Right. And that, in that particular scenario. But I think if everybody's healthy on the Eagles, I just struggle to take Devonta over the running backs. All right, Dwayne, another wide receiver here. Someone that I was drafting a lot earlier in the off season. I can actually, I can actually see using our handy dandy free best ball hub tool over at fancy life average adp i was drafting him at 62 but he has risen up now and it's just about to crack the top 50 talking about 49ers over qualified number two wide receiver brandon ayuk joined someone that at this point you're gonna have to use a fifth round pick to get on the fantasy squad you only have four percent exposure right now and that is not an indictment on ayuk's real life talent or ability just a reality of some of the things you've looked at and the fact that when the 49ers are facing man heavy defenses or zone heavy defenses how that changes the top target Dwayne and again not putting anything against Brandon Ayuk here but newsflash you need the football to get fancy points and might be a little bit more difficult for Ayuk to get the sort of gaudy target total needed for him to cash in at this valuation yeah so let's get the Brandon Ayuk talent thing out of the way we love talented players and I think Brandon Ayuk is a very talented player he just happens to be in one of these situations where he plays with a lot of other really talented players like Debo Samuel George Kittle CMC like if he was playing on pretty much any offense where all those guys were a tier below, we would be all over Brandon Ayuk. I think Brandon Ayuk can be a wide receiver one, an elite wide receiver one in the NFL. I think he's an absolute freaking beast. If I were running the 49ers and I had to pick one offensive weapon to keep and move forward with between Debo, George Kittle, and CMC, it would be Brandon Ayuk for me. So Ooh. I think that should settle like how good I think Brandon Ayuk is. And part of that, right? He's the youngest of that group. So I mean, you're 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 also thinking about longevity and things like that. Those are all really good players, but I love Ayuk. Here's the challenge. We don't normally get splits that are this consistent and this wild, Ian, between zone coverage and between man coverage. But the way the 49ers run their offense, when they see zone, it is all about Debo. And if you just stop and picture the football field, you know, Ian, you played, but you think about how a lot of zone coverages play out, especially based on down and distance. They want to keep everything in front of them and you get what's called um, under coverage, right? You're getting to play, you're getting the route that's under the coverage, right? Ayuk doesn't get that that much. Debo gets that a lot. He gets a lot of screen looks where you've got a slant on the backside that's Brandon Ayuk in case you get man. You guys have played Madden. You come up to the line of scrimmage, you're reading, oh, I got a single high safety. Let me put this guy in motion. Oh, the court, the cornerback followed him, didn't follow him. You know, you got man, boom, I'm going to hit, I'll hit Ayuk on the backside for the slant, right? You know, hopefully Ian's not lurking. You know, I'm going to pick me off underneath. But the, if not, if it's zone, then you know you're throwing the, you're going to throw the screen, you know, to the left. You don't necessarily want to throw a screen pass, you know, to a wide receiver. He's got press man coverage. That might be pick six city. Um, so with Debo, listen to this, man. So in 2020, when they face man and realize 70% of the plays in the NFL are zone coverage, right? So in 2020, 28% targets per route run to Debo versus zone, 20% for Brandon Ayuk. Okay, that's a fluke, whatever. 2021, Debo, 27%. Ayuk, 17%. Okay, two years, like still, like, come on, can this keep on? Yes. Last year it was 26% for Debo and 19% for Ayuk. And it's not that Ayuk can't do these things, Ian. We've seen him do these things when Debo hasn't been on the field, 
But the way they run this offense, Debo is the zone target hog, and it's the primary coverage you face in the league. And that is what makes it hard for me. And, and not to mention just all the other things. You got George Kittle, you got CMC, you got so many other weapons. You got an offense that's traditionally wanted to run the ball uh, and remain more of a run-heavy to run-balance type playbook. So those are the challenges. I am mixing Brandon Ayuk in, but honestly, like I struggle to not just go ahead and take Deontay Johnson, right? I think Deontay Johnson's going to be a 26, 27% target share guy like he is every year. And I'm just going to take the points that I get off of it. Now, I realize that if something happens with Ayuk, I will say he could make me pay big time. If things perfectly broke his way this year, 49ers start passing more, one of these other guys is hurt, I, I fully acknowledge that Ayuk could be a league winner. I'm not going to sit here and say that he's not. That's the part that scares me. But I think multiple things, honestly. I don't think it's just one thing. I think multiple things have to happen for Brandon Ayuk for that door to really be unlocked. And he's going to need that injury, I think, for that door to be unlocked. And that's tough for me to have such a contingent play in round five, Dwayne. When we're talking about that, like with Isaiah Likely in round 18, like, okay, then I can yeah. get behind that situation. But are we going to be sitting here if no one gets injured going, man, I can't believe I missed out on Ayuk in that top five season he put together. I just don't think so, man, because we don't see wide receivers boom like this without a huge workload more times than not. And usually the great players earn the huge workloads. I get it. But when you've got so many great players in one single offense, obviously things get tougher. So right now, Dwayne, our fancy life projections have Ayuk looking at 99 targets, average of just 5.8 targets per game. And if you look, just look at that number, the only players to actually post top 24, not even top 12, just top 24 finishes with fewer targets per game, 2018 Tyler Lockett, 2016 Tyreek Hill, and 2017 Juju Smith-Schuster getting it done with just absurd efficiency, which again, I'm not saying that Ayuk can't get there, but at the end of the day, when we look at it over the last 10 years, and 95% of top 24 wide receivers have averaged between 6 and 11.6 targets per game, numbers in history are telling us that it's just going to be tough for Ayuk to probably get there and truly boom from that valuation. Again, Dwayne, it's not one of these things where I look at Ayuk and where he's going relative to the rest of the wide receivers and saying that's egregious that's terrible but as someone that was clicking his name a good amount in round six round seven man much much tougher for me to do it against someone like Deontay Johnson to your point right now who hey like it's possible Deontay could have twice as many targets as I did this year I wish it wasn't the case man but it could happen yeah that's in the realistic range of outcomes right is a 50 target difference between the two right so I just Ayuk's the better player. Do not get me wrong. Like I can create more big plays, but man, I, my brain can't get around that. And, and so maybe, maybe that's going to come back and bite me, but that's why I've got 28% of Deontay Johnson and 4% of Brandon Ayuk. The guy who, you know, Dwayne, we're recording this here on July 24th is a, you know, good thing we didn't record just maybe five, six days ago would have been a far drastically different oh, conversation. Chiefs wide receiver Kadarius Tony, take your victory laps, injury prone Twitter, whatever the hell you want to do. I mean, man, Dwayne, this freaking guy cannot stay healthy out there. Tweak the knee and, you know, the initial report from Adam Schefter is indicating that it's not a super serious issue, which is great news. We don't want anyone to get hurt out there, but it could be something that keeps him out the rest of training camp, specifically as I pull up uh, Schefter's tweet. Underwent an off-season cleanup procedure on his knee and then he aggravated the injury Sunday while fielding a punt and is expecting to miss some time during training camp, but be ready for the start of the regular season per league sources. So, 
this sucks, Dwayne, because I had all this stuff ready about how there was a constant drumbeat of good news for Tony <laughs> throughout the entire offseason. When he joined the Chiefs, like he had the highest targets per out run of any freaking player through the Super Bowl. And yes, I understand. A lot of those were designed gadgety as touches. But hey, has anyone ever complained about Debo Samuel getting gadget touches? No, because we love gadget touches when they don't take away from a full-time role, which is the question with Kadarius Tony. But now, Dwayne, the question has turned into, is the guy even going to be healthy enough to suit up? So guess what? Kadarius Tony in round seven, you should be freaking thrilled, Dwayne, that you didn't have a high enough exposure to him because you were scared. And guess what? Round 10, Kadarius Tony is probably going to be seen before too long. And from that perspective, man, I don't mind buying that dip at all. I'm going to buy that dip. Uh, because here's the thing. When you look at Kadarius Tony, what what do we know already, right? Like there's just some high variance here with the injury stuff. And it's a lot of soft tissue things, right? Like Kadarius Tony hurts himself without people touching him because he's like that ultimate flag football player. It's like a move on top of a move on top of a move on top of oh, a move. And you're, like, what the, you're like, what did I just see? You know? <laughs> and well, what you saw was a guy going by you and you're just like holding air. But like he creates these his these injuries, you know, because of all these sudden movements. And so I think at this point, I get it. Like an, a player's injury prone until they're not. And I think that's still kind of the way we got to think about it. But it's not a good start. Like we don't want him starting off with this kind of injury that he might be nursing going into the season. You're just really hoping for a clean bill of health because we know these things can linger. So we'll keep an eye on it. But yeah, he was the guy at wide receiver that scared me more than any other. I know that there was a big floor because of the injuries. And I also know that there's a floor because maybe his role can't scale, right? Beyond like a Mecole Hardman type role. An advanced Mecole, right? Mecole never had a 26% targets per route run, guys. He never had a 23% because Mecole's not as good as Kadarius Tony. But now it's like you're going to get that discount. But I just had the, I, I was I was scared Ian because I do think we saw some things from him as a giant that wasn't all about gadgety looks. Yeah, they were short and intermediate looks, but they were with him freaking make, putting you know cornerbacks on ice skates. It's not like this guy can't beat man coverage. I know he scored lower in that last year, but there's a really small sample. So as much as I love all the charting and all those things, and I totally buy it, like I love Matt Harmon, like I, he totally knows his stuff. He's the best in the biz. But at the same time, we're also dealing with a small sample. Like when we come out and say, hey, 23% targets per route run can't scale. That's only 200 routes. We can't be that excited about it. Well, how, how for sure can we be about charting? when we don't have that many plays to chart. So I think you can argue it really both ways, but I was scared because it's the Chiefs. You talked about it, the constant drumbeat that you've done a really good job outlining. You put that out there in our content online. You put it out on Twitter as well. Um, and I was just starting to think, man, like if I do happen to be wrong, it could be really freaking bad because he's a seventh round pick. It's not that expensive. And if he does surprise us and he's a 25% targets per route run guy and he gets 85%, snap rate like he's going to be a wide receiver one like there's just no stopping him from that and i do think you would have to say that was in his range of outcomes and if he didn't let's say he was just the me cole hardman role but getting more targets per route run guess what he was still probably going to pay off the round seven pick he was going to probably score similar to a lot of those wide receivers going in that range even in a 50 percent role so I will be buying the dip. I'm with you. This is going to give me an easy way to get my exposure up on Kadarius Tony, where I don't have to make a trade-off between him and Quentin Johnson or some of these other names I know you and I will talk about in a minute. And I went to Best Ball Hub this morning, you know, 
took a took a big deep breath before Dwayne sat down because I didn't want to be shocked by how much exposure I had to Tony. It's not crazy. I have him on eleven percent right now. Again, higher than I probably wish it would have been because now we're about to see that ADP crater. But just generally, if I've gotten kept my Kelsey and Patrick Mahomes early, or if I've gotten you know Jamar Chase, that's kind of been when I've looking been looking to get some shares to Tony because again, I've just kind of pushed back at the idea he is egregiously overpriced people are like i'm out on tony no matter what and it's like he's a borderline wide receiver three and now he's going to be probably outside the top 50 wide receivers Dwayne. so again outside the top 50 i'm absolutely going to be buying that how high should sky Moore actually go for you i know we're not exactly talking about you know the ramifications of the injury but you know what we're talking Kadarius tony and nowadays man you just can't really hear a chief's update without getting some love for sky Moore. the one thing i will push back on a little bit is this idea that he's just fought, people keep saying the slot role like the chiefs moved their all their receivers all over the entire mm-hmm. formation juju spent more time out wide than he did in the slot last season so again it doesn't i don't really care about that because again they use them all over the field to give them the ball just the fact that sky Moore could be featured as the top or top two wide receiver out there is great news though mvs yeah we know we're getting there but he is going to be one of the full-time receivers but right now Dwayne, after that seems like there's you know some chance for a justin ross or James type of guy to factor in Rasheed Rice doing his thing but it seems like more and more man as much as we were getting that constant Tony drum beat starting to go that way for Sky Moore as well so are you fine like let's say Sky Moore rises up into the Traylon Burks Quentin Johnston George Pickens side of things and now is would that be too uh too expensive excuse me for Sky Moore or do you think uh again it's something that we should be actively chasing up as his Tony situation continues to I want to be careful about chasing him up, but I think that's where he's headed. So he's up 25 picks since Best Ball Mania opened. Like, so he's already moved two rounds. Um, he started off at pick 126. He's going at pick 100 now. Now, that's, that's, that was updated Friday. It's probably in the 90s now. He's probably going in the 90s. Um, I think the range you just said is where he's going to land. I think he'll be going by Quentin Johnston. I think he's going to be going by George Pickens. I think it's probably a matter of about another week. And that's where he's going to be. So if you, I'm going to, I'm going to make a concerted effort to draft him right now. All the things we love are there. You get the chiefs offense, you get Patrick Mahomes, all that stuff. We don't need to re-explain those things to people, Mm -hmm. but I think it's a coin flip really, honestly on sky Moore, as to whether or not he's going to pay that off. Uh, Because last year when the Kansas city chiefs really needed someone to step up and be on the field, they were having to run. Look, Justin Watson's a professional, but he's not someone you really want to have on the field as much as they did last year. They had to use him because Sky Moore wasn't ready, right? You had Kadarius Tony hurt and Sky Moore couldn't get on the field. I mean, he was getting capped at like 30% route participation. Now, to be fair to him, he comes from a small school and we have seen some of these small school guys take a little bit longer, but then I could also be like, well, didn't bother Christian Watson. He came out and balled out. Now, everybody will always go back to, well, remember Devontae Adams. He was a small school guy, and it took him 17 years before he finally became like the best wide receiver one on the planet. <laughs> I get it. So it can happen, but I think you're depending on an outlier. So he's a coin flip to me. Like overall, you do not see rookies that bust as bad as Sky Moore did take a big step in year two. Like it's, it's typically a bad bet. But because he plays on the Chiefs and because the upside, if you're right, of being with Patrick Mahomes is so big – I think it's just going to make it where people are going to continue to do it and they're going to push him into that range. So my goal, Ian, is to draft him as much as possible over the next week, week and a half. And then I'll probably back off like once he gets to like Traylon Burks and those guys. 
Dwayne, what do you say to doubters who say no wide receiver wearing number 24 has ever worked out? What do you say to them, Dwayne? I don't really have anything because I don't think we have any evidence that can dispute it. I'm pretty sure like he's the only data point we have. So 0% of wide receivers, which may be 0% of all wide receivers ever, have been able to turn wearing number 24 into being something good. So I, I think it's hard to, to, to really dispute facts like that, Ian. That's just some uh, sound analytics <laughs> right there, Dwayne. One guy we mentioned in kind of that discussion who we both have on this list, George Pickens. I am at 1% ownership. You're at 3%. Someone who is rather inexplicably, if I will say, going ahead of Deontay Johnson for a large portion of the offseason that has eventually corrected itself. And now, Dwayne, I have started to look more at him because, you know, Seahawks stacks are something that we both, you know, have been happily building throughout this offseason and trying to pay minus some Week 17 correlation and the best ball main a contest having that Seahawks Steelers matchup set up I can see the alert for George Pickens here that said it was just one of those situations where had all the opportunity in the world last season I mean was a starter in three wide receiver sets from the beginning then they trade Chase Claypool and there was really no reason why it shouldn't have been working out as much as you can say that you know Kenny Pickens the offense didn't help wasn't always Pickens you know doing the biggest favor for them as well had that big drop I believe against the Bengals maybe it was the Patriots late in the season that should have been a 50-yard touchdown. I get it. He made several. I mean, the, the mixtape from George Pickens as a rookie was incredible. The guy probably never lost a game of 500 as a kid in his entire life. So I get it. Jump ball beast. It reminds me, you know, not quite like a Des Bryant, but that's sort of raw. I'm bigger, stronger, and just better than you at the catch point, so I'm going to win that way type of player. And unfortunately, Dwayne, I don't think that type of player is exactly who we should be looking to target in 2023. But at the same time, he was just a freaking rookie coming off of an ACL. Maybe there is room for this guy to grow and get better. So thoughts on Pickens, because again, as much as there are real reasons, some of which I just described, and also the fact that both Fryermuth and Deontay Johnson heavily out-targeted him when Pickett was under center. We have those concerns, but then Dwayne, I do put on that highlight mixtape and I just start seeing one ridiculous catch after another. We see him shoving cornerbacks over at the line of scrimmage. He's a dog, and man, the way he wins, man, it's going to make us feel really stupid if it works out because, again, the guy's really good at football, but he's going by some guys that are also fairly good. So talk about your lack of George Pickens' exposure at this point and just how scared you are about him, you know, making us look dumb. Yeah, so, like, there's one side of me that's not scared at all, which is really the analytical side of the brain. And you, you, you basically outline this, right? You outline both sides of this. But, like, I look at a 15% target share, right, adjusted just for the games he played, a 14% targets per route run. Those are wide receiver five numbers. Those aren't even wide receiver four, right? If we look at them over the last 12 years of fantasy football and you look at what the top performers have done, George Pickens isn't in any of those thresholds. So then you're like, okay, great, whatever. He's a rookie, so let's compare him to other rookies. Again, he comes out as someone that really projects more as a wide receiver for maybe, maybe he gets to be like a, a Gabe Davis, who's going to give you like that 18, 19% target share. But Gabe Davis gets to play in an offense that's going to throw the ball all the time. Ian, we don't know for sure what the Steelers are going to do, but they're probably not going to be just this super heavy pass team with Kenny Pickett. Could they pass more this year than last year? Yes. I think that's certainly in the range of outcomes, but I think they're going to want to kind of keep things a little bit more balanced. Um, the pot, the, the side that scares you is what you said. You just turn on any film with George Pickens and you watch it and you're like, wow, like it just, it's dripping off this guy. He can, he can make the contested catch. He makes all the wow plays that are going to definitely be on all the highlight films. So 
you're kind of battling two sides of your brain here. But I don't ever want to just completely dismiss the idea. I think it gets overstated for sure. How many times are you on Twitter and somebody tells you, man, go watch the film? And you're thinking, yeah, well, I did. You know, and I'm like, but it's true with this guy. With this guy, it's really true. Anytime somebody comes back, I don't even get mad at them. When they're like, bro, watch the film. I'm like, I have, and I'm not going to disagree with you. Like, it looks really good. So that's the side that scares me. But I'm like you. Not only has Deontay Johnson moved up, George Pickens has dropped six spots since we started Best Ball Mania 4. So it's easier than ever to mix him in because now he'll fall to the end of round seven, right? And you can take all those other wide receivers you like, and he's kind of like where you're like, okay, look, I'll put him as the last one in the tier. And now you're making decisions of taking George Pickens versus Brandon Cooks. We like Brandon Cooks. Like if you just wanted to bank a 20% target share, you're probably going with Brandon Cooks. But if you are wanting to argue which one has the bigger ceiling, I don't, it's not a great chance to hit, but Pickens still has the bigger ceiling, right? He is the guy that could catch 10 touchdown passes. Like if, if his game translates this year, that's how he's going to win. He might have only have a thousand yards, but it could be 10 touchdowns. Um, you're also getting into the range with Zay Flowers, Elijah Moore. I think that's the more appropriate range. There's enough questions with these other guys that you can take Pickens. I think you could make an argument for those other players ahead of him, but I think at least he's in the conversation. And that allows me to now start clicking on him more because I was at 1% forever. He's really just come up for me in like the last couple of weeks um, as this ADP has continued to sag. But even if I get stuck at this 4 or 5%, I'm not going to be petrified about it, right? I'm not going to be like losing sleep over George Pickens. But if I can, in a perfect world, I'd like to get him to around 7 or 8% and be even with the field. Could he be this Mike Williams sort of, you know, red zone alpha that you talked about? I think he could. Double vision touchdown upside? He could. Yeah, I think could he could. Could he also be yeah. Alec Pierce in a pretty bad passing <laughs> offense that was bad last year? Yeah, I think he also bad. could. So, again, <laughs> big range of outcomes. But where he's being priced now, I am down to, me to mess around and find out just a little bit. So, yes, Dwayne, I do want to be slightly over that 1% you know, exposure we're currently rocking with. <laughs> am I going to get up to 15? No, I will not. But we will try to get a little bit more to Pickens. One I had here, Dwayne, who, you know, I'm curious what exposure you have to him. Falcons rising second year wide receiver, Drake London, someone that I just have only drafted on 4% of the squad so far. Got some exposure today. I had a super flex draft and was able to kind of get him and then Ritter one round after another. So I'm not completely out on the guy, but just where he's going right now, next to guys like Jerry Judy, Christian Watson, Keenan Allen, DeAndre Hopkins, Terry McLaurin, Mike Williams, even DJ Moore right there in the opportunity. A lot of times, you know, going at the turn to get DJ Moore and Justin Fields one after another. I have not been going out of my way for Drake London. And part of the reason that also goes into that, again, he's definitely in the same tier as those wide receivers. So I'm not trying to discount the guy too much, but I do prefer those wide receivers more so than him. And it's also Dwayne that we have Kyle Pitts going so much later. Pitts right now picks 68.6 over underdog fantasy. Drake London, 43, I'm sorry, uh, 43.2. So we're talking again, two plus round difference between guys that I think we expect to have a very similar target share in this offense. And unfortunately, it's not an offense that we want to get multiple pass game options from because we know there's only one ball to go around. And Arthur Smith is going to run it and give it to Bijan as many times as possible. 
All that to say, Dwayne, what we saw from London last year was really impressive, man. I mean, again, I remember this, whoever the hell was going out there on a prospect and trying to question his route running ability. I know we had some really good questions going into last year about how contested catch, high numbers of contested catches doesn't necessarily mean a guy can't separate. More often than not, it could be more of a sign that your quarterbacks aren't giving him a good enough opportunity to get the ball when he did create the separation. So just going back and again, watching the film as we do on all these guys with Drake London, and like just his short, you know, short area quickness at the size of this dude, man, really impressive. We saw him in the last five games of the season, really start to put it together, which is common for rookies and these younger players to get better as they get more experience. But as we know, that mini breakout also came with Kyle Pitts off the field. So again, Dr again, Dwayne, common sentiment here where it's nothing about Drake London's in, uh, into a talent or innate talent, I should say, and you know what he can be with this Falcons team in the future. Like fantastic pick in my opinion. I think he's a great wide receiver, but we're not drafting these guys for real life. We're drafting for fantasy and everything about this offense tells me that I do not want too many shares of Drake London. What say you? Yeah, I'm at 9%, so I'm slightly over the field. I like London. Uh, at one point, I was like 12 or 13%, but the reason that it trailed off is because what you talked about. Like When I, I found myself taking London, and then I couldn't take Pitts because I didn't want to have both. I didn't want to make both of those bets. And you mentioned it. like They were very similar. Last year, when they were on the field together, they were both great. It's a condensed offense, but Kyle Pitts out-targeted him by 1%. Right. So whatever. They're a coin flip. They're going to be even. They're both going to get theirs. But you're right. We've got questions about the offense. I do think the I do think the offense is due for regression. I, I'm still scared of their quarterback, but even with a bad quarterback, it's going to be hard to be as bad as the Falcons were last year with how many inaccurate throws we had from Marcus Mariota, plus how much they ran the ball. So if we look at teams over the last 12 years, the Falcons ran the ball more than any team. Like so like yeah, they're still going to be a run-heavy team, but they're probably they they won't even be able to repeat that, right? That's mm -hmm. like super crazy. So you're going to get a little bit more passing. Maybe if you have to, you go to Taylor Heineke. Like at least there's a break glass in case of emergency backup quarterback if Ritter falls flat. Heineke did surprisingly, and like I did not know this. I went back and looked. In five out of nine starts, Heineke supported at least two top 36 finishers. Whether it was whether it was Dotson and Samuel or whether it was Dotson and McLaurin, so that was a little bit made me feel a little bit better about like picking it back up on London. But like the bet on London is just talent, and you already mentioned it. Like absolutely elite, twenty seven percent target share last year adjusted for games played. Like that's in the same range as Jamar Chase, twenty seven percent, Cooper Cup, twenty nine percent, Tyree Kill, twenty nine percent. Now he gets to play in an offense that mostly uses heavy formations. They don't run a lot of three wide receivers. And we know that based on that, you typically have a little bit less target competition than whenever you've got a slot with wide receiver out there. So you got to remember that. But, uh, you know, we don't bitch about that when we talk about Tyreek Hill, right? He plays in the same kind of offense and had a 29% target share. So Drake London is really good at football. Newsflash, right? It's, it's not really a surprise to anyone. I'm going to keep drafting him, but I don't want to be crazy overweight because it does box me in and I can't get access to Kyle Pitts in round six or seven, which I really do prefer. Like that is my, I would prefer to go that route if I have to, but I do like Drake London enough that I'm not going to let that keep me at like a 2% on him, right? I want to keep him around eight, nine, 10%. Um, but he is in a wide range of wide receivers where I could argue against any of them. That's the problem. We can really argue against any of those wide receivers going in that range. I mean, so like we're flip, I'm low on Terry McLaurin and you're low on Drake London, but I think they have the same exact arguments against them. 
right? McLaurin, we know, is yeah. a really good player, but we have no clue about their quarterback. And Washington, nobody even talks about this. They are run heavy. They are a run heavy offense that no one's talking about. They want to run the ball. They got a defensive minded head coach. Um, he could run into uh, and also also 55% time of possession last year for the for the commanders. That's not happening again. Like you don't that was the most in the league. So they're gonna lose plays just off, off of that alone. So like I could see the commanders regressing the wrong direction, the Falcons regressing in the right direction, and these two guys are right next to each other, or Drake London could be slightly ahead. So it's a challenge, man, that tier right there. Because Ayuk, who we talked about earlier, technically he's right there with, yeah. with it. So one of these guys, Ian is going to end up hitting due to factors outside of the things we're talking about today. Like injuries, something weird is going to happen, and everybody's going to be like, man, I told you it was Drake London. I told you it was Brandon Ayuk. And in reality, it will be some random shit that drives which one breaks out because they're all good players. Just do what I do, man. You know, when you have these tiebreakers, like which one went to Ohio State, and then you draft that one. And that's, <laughs> that's just kind of tiebreaker. <laughs> I kid, I kid everyone. But just, I, yes, I realize, and you have Terry McLaurin listed, and I do have more shares of Terry McLaurin. Not ridiculous. I kind of got that out of my system last year. But again, all these guys in the range have one red flag or another. And it's going to depend on, you know, which offensive environment is able to be a bit better than we're thinking. So I've seen uh, this fun game on Twitter a couple times where people ask, like, if we could be, if we could have like one player's full season stat line revealed to us right now like who we pick so we can make you know the best decisions from that and Desmond Ritter and Sam Howell man those are two guys where if we knew just how good or how bad they're going to be that could help influence a lot of things man because I see with Sam Howell you know people going through that Cowboys game and saying look at his what you know he identifies the one safety high and he throws a beautiful dime to Terry McLaurin and you know he had the rushing touchdown actually in that one game more rushing production fantasy points wise than what Ritter was able to achieve in four starts so I feel like Dwayne guys that were really good in a small sample they get the benefit of the doubt there and we kind of talk it up but the second you show someone being bad in a small sample (laughs) all anyone says is well it was a small sample man so that's the (laughs) one thing where I see the Kyle Pitts uncatchable pass rate and I see how bad Mariota was last season but guys we did get four stars from Desmond Ritter I know it's only four stars but we got four and if you look at just his adjusted completion percentage courtesy of PFF, which includes drops and things like that. Ritter was less accurate than Mariota on deep passes from clean pockets, overall, CPOE, everything. He was worse than Marcus Mariota. That happened, and I get it. He started putting it together in week Whatever, 18. Ian. It's just a small sample. You can't use it. See? Perfect, Dwayne. Perfect. You <laughs> nailed it. But, you know, starts to put it together in week 18 against the Buccaneers backups, and I'm just like, man, really not all that confident. But, hey, in this offense, you know, weapons everywhere at this point. You add Bijan. You get a healthy Kyle Pitts out there. Could it happen? Yeah. Is it more likely than Washington? I don't know. I am a little bit afraid of Drake London. Uh, Prove me well, wrong, both, Dwayne. That's the moral of the story here. All yeah, these and guys, both of them, and both of them have a fell safe, right? Washington has Jacoby Brissett, and Atlanta has Taylor Heineke. Yeah. Um, I, I think with Arthur Smith, with where he's at and his coaching journey, I don't think he will wait long. I will not be surprised if either Taylor Heineke or Jacoby Brissett, one of the two, is a starter week one, Oof. much less that taking four or five weeks. Ron Rivera. Arthur Smith need to win right now. And I think if these guys are terrible in camp, we're going to see the backup quarterback. And, and while we don't love it, Ian, we're not, that doesn't mean that they're not going to suddenly be targets for us, right? In drafts, if we hear they're the starter, it's not like we're going to be rushing into the streets, right? To like move Jacoby Brissett to be our, you know, QB 12. Although, although to give Brissett, you know, complete credit, like he was great. He was really good last year. It was the best year ever. But 
that's a little bit of a fail safe you get with both of these guys. But again, like you're flipping a coin, in my opinion, between which one is going to hit. Uh, I think both are good players. Both have very similar situations. But I do think it's funny how you will see people latch on and say, no, this is their guy. Like anytime I'm on Twitter, and it's great. We all want to have our takes. That makes it fun. But when I see someone, Terry McLaurin is the one you have to draft in round four. And I'm like, man, like when I compare the tier, they're all really close. So like, what's your, basically you're just having a take to have a take, in my opinion. Like when you do that. Um, when the guys are all so close from a data perspective and even from a film perspective, I think, you know, it's really going to come down to variance and luck. So I'm trying to spread my bets out across those guys. I will tell you, Ian, I didn't foresee this, but I've started taking a lot more Mike Williams at the end of round four. Good. And then coming back around and taking Justin Herbert, because I just know, Hey, you're going to throw it all the time. And I can stack you with Herbert right here. I don't have to sit around want to take Desmond Ritter later. I don't want to take Sam Howell really that often later. I'm f- fine. If I get Curtis Samuel or if I, sorry, if I draft Jahan Dotson and Curtis Samuel, that's the team where I'm going to draft Sam Howell. I'm going to give it a whirl, right? Like, okay, great. But overall, like I just like <laughs> leaning into the Chargers offense and I'm just like, just, just give me Mike Williams. I don't think he's an elite wide receiver. I think he's a good wide receiver. I think Drake London's better. Drake London's future is so much. I think it's, 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 like above and beyond what we're probably ever going to expect from Mike Williams at this point. But I feel like I know what I'm getting with Mike Williams. I want to use this time to let everyone know some really freaking good news. Dwayne, last year we did a ton of live, you know, just, okay, slightly delayed because we didn't want everyone hawking our picks, but did a ton of high stakes redraft streams where we went through pick by Yumi co-managing, you know, we had to go and debate some of the picks and ultimately decide who we wanted, you know, pick by pick strategy, cheat sheets, all that good stuff. And we are bringing that back. Finally, everyone struck up a deal with the fine folks over at NFFC and we'll be streaming at least six of these redrafts over the course of the next six weeks before the season gets going. Couldn't be more thrilled, Dwayne. Again, this is their 20th anniversary season and yeah, it's just great people to be partnered with. So I know I've gotten a lot of DMs about, you know, wondering if we were going to be doing those streams and the answer is yes hopefully this very wednesday it is a little bit dependent on you know when the draft rooms fill but Dwayne, we're back man i can't freaking wait yeah man it's uh as much as we love best ball i'm ready for some redraft you know i'm ready yeah, to baby. it's a different gear right there's certain like we're not drafting van jefferson in round 12 <laughs> anymore we're not drafting the guy like those are guys that can give you a spike week right in best ball over in redraft, like once you get into round 11, 12, 13, 14, all those rounds, like the strategy is totally different. So you just get to, there's just a different, you know, part of your brain that you get to kind of, you know, itch and you get to be like, okay, great. Like now I get to think about something totally different. We love variety, right? We're, we're humans. We're, we're not going to stop drafting best ball teams either. Like, you know, of course not. I know that you're probably, I know you're taking down the three mil, but I'm trying to win <laughs> second. So um, but yeah, looking forward to it and so excited to get to partner with, uh, the NFFC. So it's a PPR format. You got to start three wide receivers. You get a flex, the quarterbacks get six point touchdowns. So there's, there's some cool little things with it that I think make it a really cool contest. And these guys, you mentioned, you mentioned, you know, 20 year anniversary, they've been around a long time, dependable. We know if we go win the first place prize, and we're going to get paid because they're good dudes. So yeah, super excited to partner. Kings stay Kings. And again, NFFC. 
very, very royal over the years. Can't overstate how excited the whole MV Fantasy Life team is to work with them. Dwayne, let's touch on tight ends here before we get on out. Talking Georgia Kittle in round six. You have just 4% exposure. I'm pulling up mine right now, but certainly not someone I'm completely overweight on in my own right. Uh, maybe a little bit more. I'm at 9%. So again, not someone that I've been drafting every single time, but maybe a little bit more than yourself. Break it down. Is this just like I have a similar reasoning to what we talked about with I you can Debo Samuel because once again nobody is debating how damn good George Kittle is I know Dwayne we're in agreement that if the aliens invaded us tomorrow and we had to field a football team to save the human race George Kittle might very well be the tight end one for us for just one single game but that's not the case we're playing fantasy football where we need to try to get the most points scored over a 17 week season George Kittle yes as we even saw last year during the playoffs does have that opportunity to absolutely boom because he's a great player only one ball to go around that offense, Dwayne. And let's face it, when you got McCaffrey, Debo, and Ayuk there, very real possibility that George Kittle is going to be number four on this team in pass game opportunities. And that is a steep price to pay for a tight end in round six. Yeah, I've drafted him six times in 160 drafts. So I'm just a little bit under 4%. Now, his ADP has started to fall. Like Kittle is falling. And I've noticed, I don't know if you've seen this, but I've had some drafts where I've the draft where I'm getting him, man, I get him like 12 picks past ADP. Like, he really falls. Um, so it's funny because that's the one where you pass Drake London because you want to take Kyle Pitts. And you're like, well, damn it. I could have taken Drake London and, <laughs> and George Kittle's sitting here and I get a discount on him. I'm with you. No, no doubt about the talent, guys. Like, very, very talented player. Also, at the tight end position, like, he is one of the few that if he just gets hot at the end in best ball mania and gives you those two to three weeks where he gets on a heater – it could be enough to totally validate your pick of Kittle, even if he doesn't do that much for you in the regular season, because I think we've advanced enough to know you draft George Kittle, you still come back and get another tight end. You may even still draft three, right? That's one of the learnings that we have from last year and how'd you, how you build your rosters out. But before, like people would be like, ah, I took Kittle, I'll take a, another tight end in the last round, right? You're still going to come back and grab, you know, Ian's favorite probably, like Dalton Schultz. You're going to pair oh him gosh. with, uh, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Gerald Everett, Ian, we'll, we'll pair Thank Gerald you. Everett Thank with you, George Kittle coming back. But a guy that could make you pay, that's what scares me about Kittle. If he hits his spike week in the right week because of the position he plays, it can be a huge difference. We can talk about this with receivers and the other positions as well. Spike weeks are a real thing. But you have so many other options to offset them. There's only a few tight ends that can give you a 25 to 30 point spike week. George Kittle's like one of the few humans right on the planet that is a tight end that can do that. So that's what scares me about him. Not so much having to to worry about what he's going to do to me all season. I, I worry that I look up and I get a, a team into the, you know, get lucky and you get a team into the best ball mania for into those final, into that final week. And you're look up and you're like, holy crap, George Kittle just scored 38. <laughs> like that's the kind of thing he can do to you. So that's really where my more, more where my fear comes in, but why I'm passing him is just, I love Darren Waller. I love uh, Kyle Pitts goes after him. Um, and, and like, I'm just fine waiting on tight end. Like there's just, it's just the way it works out. So I want to get more exposure to Kittle when he falls past ADP. Otherwise I don't see myself correcting this one, Ian. I probably will. If, if I don't get a lot of value on him, I probably will end up being even lower than this 4%. 
It is scary, man. Like, this is one that very well could keep me up at night. I've had some freaking dreams, Dwayne, where, like, I start best ball drafts and then, like, just I continuously keep missing my picks throughout and I wake up and I'm like, what the hell is wrong with me, like, right now? Can I please <laughs> think of I've something, something else? Similar. <laughs> please think of something else while I'm snoozing, for the love of God. But, again, last five years, only Kelsey, more PPR points per game than George Kittle. Last three years, Andrews only has a freaking point two lead on George Kittle. So, again, the talent right up there with these guys and if we get the season and Kyle Shanahan is just you know the way defenses are playing him he decides that Kittle is going to be that lead target getter we are screwed Dwayne for not having more of him but again where are the chances of that happening I don't think they are overly great it's almost a detriment to Kittle to uh, Kittle I think uh, Travis Kelsey himself said this like he's almost too good of a blocker like he would be getting yeah. more passes I think if he wasn't such a great utility as a run blocker and even as a pass blocker from time to time so with Kittle yeah again fully understand how good he is I'm with you Dwayne though I'm not going to be completely going out of my way because we still have Darren Waller and even again in this in this case Kyle Pitts to be able to get later yeah. All right. And with, with Kittle, I will say, like his route participation is over 90%. So as good as he is as a blocker, the bigger issue is they just run the ball so much. But gotcha. maybe his run blocking prowess is what maybe that encourages more running. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, like it's, I think you say it perfectly. You know, aliens invade the planet. I think Kittle probably is the tight end that we run out there, like just the all world. Because if you happen to like, you know, need to block someone, get a pancake, like Kittle, like he can do all of it. All due respect to Kelsey, but in this scenario, you know, we got Devontae Adams, Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase out there. We can find other guys to go catch the ball more times than not. All right, I got two I want to break down real quick. Dawson Knox, someone that you'll find, man, the last three rounds of drafts sometimes when he really starts sliding. I have just 3% exposure right now, and I've been fine going at these late-round tight ends. Dwayne. I think in the last two, three rounds, I know we say this every freaking year, but I do like some of the opportunity out there, and he's going behind Sam Laporta, Juwan. Johnson right there at Mike Jasicki and Tyler Conklin and I just wonder Dwayne like if we're buying into Kincaid being the starting slot receiver like what does that say about Dawson Knox that he's still the starting in line tight end in this offense because we've seen that work out for him and we're talking about best ball looking for those spike weeks we know Dawson Knox actually has that double digit touchdown upside he is if you just look at the most fantasy points scored from only touchdowns over the past couple of years the most touchdown dependent tight end in the league but as we know Josh Allen sure makes a habit of throwing a lot of touchdowns so with Dawson Knox Dwayne I mean he's someone that in the year 2022 got a four year 50 two million dollar contract extension that's like dalton schultz's deal times eight man so you know all right reset it couldn't go couldn't go one episode everyone i'm sorry reset the dalton schultz slander but seriously man with dawson knox like i know last year wasn't great but we gotta give him a little bit of credit for playing through a foot and hamstring injury from you know week four on pretty much just again out of these late round tight ends dwayne i've been shooting a lot of darts at we do see usually about one maybe one and a half just historically tight ends that are going you know just well outside the top 12 actually go ahead and leak into the position by the time the season comes around and as much as I feel good about my Gerald Everett exposure and Tyler Higby and stuff I wouldn't be shocked if we are looking at this tight end group in the future and saying oh yeah a starting tight end making over 50 million dollars for the Buffalo freaking Bills is there I pick 179 why didn't we take more of him yeah I think he's fine where he's going I and I do think the spike week thing is what you're talking about here. When does he get hot? When does he score his touchdowns? Is it in the money weeks? But I can say that around a lot of guys, right, that are going in this range. So I'm only at 1% exposure. Um, you're right. He Not has scared, scored the though. slide. 
yeah, um, but I'm not scared. But I'm definitely – I'll draft some more. I'm not opposed to drafting Knox. I think he fits right where he's going, where he's going in drafts. Um, my challenge with him is he just hasn't shown to be a high-end target earner. He's just not – he's pretty good with the ball in his hands. Like, he can stretch the seams, and that comes through for him, right? So when he gets the ball, he scores the touchdowns and things like that. But there's something going on with him and the way he reads coverage. There, there's something happening – that like he's just not been able to unlock like that next level of his game. I mean, the 14% targets per route run is terrible, right? And that's what he was at last year. And even the year before when he was healthy, it wasn't good. So, uh, you know, I do think there's spike week potential there, but not, not losing sleep over it. Um, I'll probably end up with three or 4% of him. Like I shouldn't be at one, but I'm not going to be worried about trying to get it to eight. This one here. Evan Ingram, Jaguars tight end one, just got absolutely paid recently. Three-year, $41.25 million deal, $24 million guaranteed. Doug Peterson, long-time notorious tight end whisperer. Yes, he's had some pretty great tight ends along the way that I think would have been just fine with any coach there. But, you know, track record does tell us, you know, guys like Kelsey, Ertz, Goddard, and now from certainly an offense that has been tight end friendly. That said, we do have Christian Kirk, Zay Jones, and now Calvin Ridley also catching passes from Trevor Lawrence. So, Dwayne, again, I understand where Evan Ingram is going in drafts, you know, kind of outside that big seven tier, but right there alongside David Njoku and Pat Fryermuth before that cliff comes. I guess my concern is like, why is Evan Ingram outside of that top seven tier? Is it just a volume sort of thing? Because we aren't really giving, you know, Dallas Goddard, Kyle Pitts, George Kittle the same sort of bumps down in terms of a talent thing like yes i realized the clapper did not make life good for evan ingram during his final few years in new york but man certainly did look the part last season he had absolutely huge blow-up games uh down the stretch and even into the playoffs someone that if you did have you know in week 14 you know was single-handedly winning you that week so the ceiling for ingram man seems to be on par with some of these guys like a kittle like a dallas goddard on a week-to-week basis i understand again the fact that he could very well be number four you know in targets in his very own offense but Evan Ingram Dwayne someone that maybe we should be looking at a little bit more closely as a discount version of these top tier tight ends because again I understand there's a floor here and we can take away his good games and show you how average he was the rest of the time but if we are truly in one of these first or last sort of tournaments man maybe we are underestimating just how much he can blow up or maybe I'm just underestimating that because I don't know what your exposure is to him no, I don't have a lot either, but like you said, some really important things there. So my tier break is at Darren Waller and the next tier starts with Dallas Goddard and I have him in the same tier as Evan Ingram. So even though we're kind of saying it in a different way, like our thought processes are aligned. I don't think Dallas Goddard belongs in tier three anymore. After what we saw last year from him, looking at his target competition that he has, I, I like Dallas Goddard, but I think he's fine in a tier at this point. We're pretty far in Dallas Goddard's Goddard. career. Yeah, so I'm low on Goddard as well, but Goddard, um, Fryermuth, Njoku, Evan Ingram are all basically the same to me. Um, Goddard goes the highest. Fryermuth I have a little more of because he is younger, so like I st- still feel like we could see the ascension for Fryermuth. I feel like Evan Ingram and David Njoku, we kind of know what they are now. Having said all that, like you mentioned, like for tight ends, it's going to come back to the touchdowns. Evan Ingram could catch seven, eight, nine, ten touchdowns, and if he does... He's going to be like the tight end three, tight end two, like that. But it's also in the range for Njoku. It's also in the range uh, for Goddard. So I have a hard time like prioritizing those guys. And maybe that's wrong. But the other thing is where they go in drafts, man, I love the running backs, Ian. And a lot of times I've taken so many receivers early. I'm like, holy crap, I got to get Charbonnet, right? I got to get a James Cook. I got to get two of those guys. I need to get Antonio Gibson. 
they're going in that, that spot and the way a lot of my builds work out, I'm kind of off tight end in that range. So it's not so much disliking Ingram. It's two things together. One, the running backs going in that range and how I typically build. And then number two, I do think that there's a chance that really the next tier down and you get like a Greg Dulcich, you get a Tyler Higby, um, you got some of these other names. I don't know that they're going to be that far off. Like Higby is the one that I'm the most confident in because, mm-hmm. you know, we, we've really seen the Rams when they're just down to basically Cooper Cup and no one else. Higby's clearly been the guy like twice now, right? Um, and last year before the injuries to the offensive line. So that, that's been my main thing. It's I have other priorities in that range. And then I'm like, well, just give me Higby. And I know I can just draft three tight ends, Ian. Yeah. Like when I, and here's the problem. When I draft Evan Ingram, I don't necessarily feel like it's only a two tight end build. I still feel like it might need to be a three tight end. So that's the other thing that kind of weighs on me. I'm, I'm probably being a little bit hard on him. Um, and this can be wrong. Like I probably need to get some exposure to him. Um, I don't see myself forcing my way to 8%, but he is a good enough player to your point. Like I shouldn't be at one. Common theme with a lot of this where maybe we're just a little harshly, too harshly, I should say, with these guys saying, okay, again, very good question to ask yourself every round. What can I get here that I can't get later? And with guys like Ingram, we know we can get David Njoku and Pat Fryer with 10, 11 picks later. And that's why in more drafts than not, we're not pulling the trigger on Ingram, even if we don't have a tight end at that point. But again, when, you know, we're doing 150 plus drafts throughout the summer and stuff, smarter to get at least some shares of players that we know have that upside and have that ability to prove us wrong. Cause Lord knows we are not right hundred percent of the time, at least not yet. So Dwayne, think that's going to wrap this one up. Any more tight ends, wide receivers you want to get off your chest covered a lot over these last two episodes. And, Good job by you, my friend. No, you too, man. I think we I, I think we hit a lot of them. You know, there's other later round guys we could talk about, but I think uh, you know we covered most of the guys that I when I look at it that I at least myself had to go back and rethink my exposures. In some cases, I'm like I'm fine with it. In other cases, I'm like you know what I need to I need to fix my behavior. I probably need to really ramp up my exposure to this player. And that's the beauty, Ian, of the Best Ball Hub over at Fantasy Life. You can get it completely for free, folks. All you have to do, go to Underdog, you get your CSV for your exposures, and then you bring that and upload it into the Fantasy Life website under the Best Ball Hub, and you get all this great analysis. First, you get your exposures. Not like That's one thing. You can get that on Underdog. But what's beautiful about it is you can see, let's say you do love Evan Ingram. You can see how many times you have him with Trevor Lawrence. You can see how many times you have him with Calvin Ridley. You can see how many times you've got him with a Jonathan Mingo bring back, right, for your week 17. Also, we show you your week 15 and 16 correlations because we know Best Ball Mania is really a three-week tournament, and you got to keep moving forward. So all of that kind of stuff is included, and it just shouldn't be free, Ian, but guess what? It is. Take advantage of it because, yeah, again, it is free. And again, uh, one thing you mentioned, Dwayne, that I, I, I'm sorry, you did not mention that I do like about the tool too, is just simply seeing where you drafted the guys, the average ADP for that versus where they're going now. And that can just help you with, again, seeing if you have enough exposure to them. And, you know, if you don't, or if you do, I should say, did you already get it at a good price? So there's no need to chase. I mean, looking at it right now, my average, you know, just to brag here for a little bit, average ADP for Antonio Gibson is 117.4 right now going at pick 98.8. So yeah, that's feeling pretty good. pretty good about my exposure, not feeling much of a need to go ahead and chase that too much. So 
about that and feeling good about the best ball hub as a whole. So make sure you guys check that out. And also our rankings, Dwayne, myself, Freeman, Waz. I don't think you're going to find a better foursome in the industry. And once, it, well, these ones cost, oh, no, they don't. That's also free, Dwayne, just like everything <laughs> else we're doing with Fantasy Live. So again, who was the most accurate ranker last year uh, um, in the contest? Oh, I, think yeah. I think it was Waz. Was yeah. oh, oh we wait, have the most accurate got ranker here. Yeah. <laughs> it has to cost money though for his. No, uh, you know what? I'll check on it. Wait, no, it's it's F R E E is what it says. That spells wow. free. I think. Yeah. God, we should really you know prep before this. You know, join try to figure out what <laughs> we is should know these things. Free. We should know these things. But all right, thank you guys for putting up with our shenanigans there. We I think we got the point across. But truly appreciate you guys tuning in. Uh, sorry that this one did not actually work out live. Uh, we had a small technical difficulty early on, but appreciate you guys listening anyway. And we will do our damnness to get these things live here moving forward. Really want to start getting some more interaction. And yeah, otherwise, great day, be great as always. So for Dwayne, I'm Ian. Thanks again for tuning in the Fantasy Life Podcast. And until next time, take care, everybody.